this is Ruin Willow, and you are listening to the Oh Fuck Yeah with Ruin Willow podcast. I'm so excited you're here. Always I am every single time, every single person. I am so grateful you are listening to my podcast and you are here. You matter. I love ya. I wouldn't be where I am without you. So I love you. <laughs> okay. On my podcast, I talk about all things related to sex, sexuality, sexual health, sex toy reviews, tips for better sex solo and with partners. And I have lots of interviews as well. I read erotica, mine and others. And I do erotica author interviews along with reading excerpts of their work. And I also interview experts. And this person that I'm interviewing today actually falls into both categories. Not only is she an erotica author, but she is a sex therapist turned sex writer. She creates sex positive content to empower the sexually curious and to enhance people's lives. She hosts on spaces on Twitter, the sexuality space, Wednesdays, noon, E.T. I think that means Eastern time. E.T. Anyway, Wednesdays, noon at E.T. And she is an author and she has so many interesting things to say. She really blew me away in the following interview. It was a really amazing talk and she's such an amazing, knowledgeable person. She has taught sexuality and uh, I won't I won't steal all her thunder, but that is what she does. She She's a sex therapist. She's helped a lot of people. She's done a lot of teaching. And now she's writing fiction, erotica fiction. Her name is Dr. J, aka Donna Jennings, PhD. And you have got to listen to this interview. Stay here and listen. This is so amazing. She's so sex positive, so knowledgeable. It's just amazing. I want to mention that right now I have a promotion going where I am selling t-shirts with my, oh, fuck yeah, with Ruin Willow podcast logo on the shirts. I will put the link down in the podcast. It's through Bonfire, and I probably will do more promotions through them, but it's only for a limited time right now. So hop over there, and if you want a t-shirt, short sleeve, or a long sleeve, or a hoodie with my logo on it, you like to listen to me, why don't you put my lips on your chest? Get a shirt. <laughs> I'm going to do mugs, I think, too. I think that would be a fun thing to do. So in the future, I'm going to sell some mugs with my logo on it. And I'm open to more ideas. Anybody wants me to put something on a uh, product, I'll do it. <laughs> That sounds like such a fun, silly thing to do. And if you would like to support my podcast or you just want to wear my lips on your chest, get a shirt. So check the link down in the podcast notes. And now let's get ready to talk to Dr. J. Oh, fuck yeah. It's a good one. Okay. I am so excited. I am so excited to talk to this guest, and I am so excited to share her with all of you. She has an absolutely amazing background, amazing, and now she's moving into writing erotica. I mean, she's got the perfect, perfect setup for being an erotic fiction author. Okay, so this is Dr. J. She is a retired sex therapist turned erotica author, writer. She's done sex therapy, 
She's been a professional consultant. She does training, sexual education. She has a PhD in human sexuality, right? Actually, my PhD is in marriage and family therapy with a specialty in sexuality. Oh, perfect. And now you write erotica. Welcome. I am so excited to find out everything you have to say. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Ruin, for having me. I'm excited to be here and share as well. So I would really love to tell everyone where to find your books. First of all, you have them on Amazon. You have several anthologies, right? I do. Yes. I think I left you a quick links, but I have, I think, eight. And the latest book will be coming out in February with Cleus Press. Big Book of Orgasms, Volume 2. I have a story there. Oh, perfect. And I am going to put all your links down in the podcast notes for books, all your links here where it's all centralized so people can just easily click through to find out more about you and find your books. And you are on Pinterest, Twitter as Dr. J Author, Instagram, Facebook, and you have a website. And you're on Medium. Did I miss anything? The only thing I would add is I'm now officially a host on Twitter Spaces on Twitter. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw that. Awesome. Okay. I can't wait to find out more about all of that. But first, I would love if you would read an excerpt for us. Are you willing to do that? Oh, I would love to. Yes. Oh, yay. Okay. Whenever you're ready. This is from Best Women's Erotica of the Year, Volume 3. The story is entitled Infused Leather. For my first shoeshine event, we picked a time when we knew the airport would have a lull in activity. The height of the chair was set so that the client could survey the airport and ignore the shoeshine man. My knee-high boots were perfect for today. Rarely, if ever, did Harold shine women's shoes, but he would shine mine. So here I was, workday finally over, considering how to manage that first big step into the chair. Harold pulled out his step stool for me to climb on as he held out his hand for balance. I settled myself in the high chair. Harold selected his cleaning items and went to work on my boots. His intensity intrigued me. He moved with single-mindedness, using loving action with each stroke. Noting that, I made my move. I pulled the fabric of my flowing skirt up into my lap and flashed my bare lips. Outlined by my makeshift leather shoelace cutout panties, my G-string made from shoestring, his hands froze in midair. A brief lopsided grin appeared on his face, and then he went back to work. The more he watched the view between my legs, the more he cleaned my leather boots by feel. As he shined them, he got hard, which in turn made me wet. He seemed to be cleaning away something hurtful. Harold? Let me do your shoes. Are you sure, Ange? I nodded my head and we traded places. He caught me off guard when he slipped off his leather belt and placed it on the stool. Harold had a leather fetish, and now he knew I knew it. Ange, can you work it over good? I can, Hal. I sat on his belt. My pussy lips cradled the edges, and I slathered my juices on his strip of cowhide while I gave him a shoe shine. I adjusted myself several times so he understood I had coated it well. After creating my special leather dance, I stood to stretch and move forward, standing closer to him. When I crouched down again, I grazed my hot wetness over the laces of his boots, every crisscross section of them, 
I took my sweet time as I raked myself over the bumps and the eyelets, arousing myself. I suspected you liked it dirty. How? Just like me. So what's your leather connection? My dad insisted I clean and shine his shoes and belt me before he beat me. Every time I shine shoes, he loses his power because I don't get beat. I take control. He held my gaze and an unspoken moment passed between us. You? I had to pull the leather laces out of my uncle's boots. He used them to tie me up. I keep trying to get this gruff voice out of my head. You know I like them tight. Now, every time I focus on leather laces, I own them. Hal pursed his lips and nodded. And when I take control, I win. I smiled. Hmm, we're a pair. Yeah, confirmed little leather freaks. Over a long moment, we held each other's gaze, locked in our own space, transported away from everything around us. Angie? Yeah, Hal? You want to take it another step? What did you have in mind? Sex? Sex? Yeah, let's put pleasure into something that hurt us in the past. How? In any way that feels right like how we just marked our leather for each other when we shoe-shined. Do you think it will help us? I can only hope, Ange. And that's how our leather sex began. We'll be back after a quick break. This episode is brought to you by the Spring Cleaning Champions, Manscaped. This season, make sure the man in your life grooms his carpets and his drapes with the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. Have him clear out that winter bush with Manscaped's Lawnmower 5.0 and watch his confidence bloom like the springtime flowers. Embrace the season and have him join the 10 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. With our special offer, go to manscaped.com and use code RUIN. You have to use my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, for the 20% off and free shipping. Have you ever been doing some oral pleasure and got some hairs in your mouth or your teeth? Well, (laughs) Manscaped can help with that. Try being clean shaven or spring cleaning. After he uses Manscaped, you can say, "Hmm, let's get some busy with some spring fever in the bedroom. Try out Lawn Mower 5.0 Ultra. It is an amazing trimmer that features two interchangeable heads, one for taking a little off the top and the new foil blade to go smooth. If you want to go smooth for spring cleaning, make sure you try out Manscaped products. Bring on those smooth skin sexy slaps in the bedroom. And how do you do that? Use Manscaped products to shave clean down in your pubic area. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code RUIN. You have to use my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, all caps at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with code RUIN at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in his pants, right? In your pants if you're a man. (laughs) Spring clean your groin area. Try smooth. Try it with Manscaped. Oh, that's amazing and very sensual. And I really love how you take their past and you flip it and make it into something they own and something very 
that they could actually enjoy. You know, that's the part that I think is is a little different about the writing that I do because of my background. I spend a lot of time thinking about what would the backstory be to characters, because I always look at what the meaning of sex is and what makes us move forward into it. And for these two, it's redemption and to be able to grab something that hurt them and to take it for themselves and use it in a way that that works. That's what my writing's been about in terms of facing erotica. I like that. I think that's, and I think that's actually quite helpful for people to identify and place themselves in those characters' shoes. And they can identify with that character because I think everyone has some kind of thing from their past. We all do, right? We have something and it impacts sure. our sexuality. And and the important part is, you know, storytelling We rewires our brain. And that's a yeah. good thing in terms of learning vicariously or learning about ourselves and that, you know, I'm one of those people that believes that erotica is a prescription that we can give that has no side effects that can help with arousal, lubrication, orgasm, desire. And it's one of those things that's a a positive in the world. Wow, that is exactly how I see it. That is fantastic. Your description is exactly how I see it. And I feel it as a help as well. Wow, that's really awesome. (laughs) I'm really (laughs) excited about that. (laughs) I'm such a dork. But I think that's so cool. I I just, that's a great thing. I would like to ask you to, do you, in all your anthologies, do you focus on different, your stories, different areas? Or do you kind of like, kind of, you float around everywhere or do you kind of stick on a certain theme? Well, I think if you were to look at my stories right now, I think one of the things that I focus on are life milestones. Um, I have an anniversary story. I have a birthday story. I have uh, first time events, even though the first time event may have to do with a spoon fetish that's in rule 34. So there are different (laughs) things. And I'm not one of these people. My stories come from life. They come from everywhere. I could see something out in space. And, and the story that I just read, Best Women's Erotica, I was in the Atlanta airport walking down the concourse, and I looked to the right and saw the shoeshine. I looked to the left and saw the coffee shop, and I kept looking back and forth, and that story came to me fully formed. Nice. So I can't say that I you know, think, What topic shall I write today? Sometimes the universe just hands me the information and I sit down and write it based on who I am, the vessel that I am, and the information that I can bring forward uh, into the story. I can appreciate that too, because I've often felt seized, almost like you're seized with an idea or a story, or I've woken up and all of a sudden I have like all these ideas about what I'm writing. And that's just amazing to me. Our brain is like, working, you know, like, even like you said, it somehow pops in your head. <laughs> and that's awesome. the, the muse part is so fascinating to me. And what can we as writers blow life into that little crack in life that we can say, I can make a story from this. And then you build the characters, you build what the backstory is, and then you focus on how would they have sex? And that's, you know, based on my therapy work, how people have sex is based on so many different things, including the meaning 
that they're putting into the sex. Because sex, as I see it, is as individual as our fingerprint. And when we do sex, however that is, it should be different every single time because nothing's the same. Right. And that, to me, points to something that always drives me crazy when everybody says in the world, the writing world, every story has been told. And I don't actually agree with that. I think we all have a different voice. Maybe the overlying theme might be similar, but no two people are ever going to write the same thing. So in my mind, they are not all written yet. Agree with you. And, and an interesting thing from a writing direction, Kurt Vonnegut did a master's thesis on story shapes, and he postulated that there were, I think it was seven. Hmm. And he said that these are the shapes of all stories. Alessandra Torrey, who is a New York Times bestselling author, she and I went to school together at Florida State. She has created a company called Authors AI, and they have pretty much proved out Kurt Vonnegut's theory. But your point is the people that we put in that story, the path that they take, the direction that they go, that's the part that's unique and different. But the flow and the direction of how a story is constructed is pretty much the same because in history, the way we have gotten our information about the world is through story. That's how we remember important things like, don't walk that way. That leopard's going to jump out and get you. Everybody told you that in the tribe. It's that kind of thing. So we remember important information through story. Right. I mean, think about nursery rhymes, you know, they're all like super nasty, but they're warnings to people like, yes, our stories, this happened, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think saying, though, that every story has been told cheapens it. True. Every individual's, every individual's story has not been told. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Although that's one of those things that bugs me. And so I always like to talk about that with authors and get their opinion on it, because, of course, everybody has their own opinion. But that just happens to be my opinion. I think we have so much more to say. Authors have so much more to say. And we're living in such a great time of being an author right now. I think in all the history of literature, never have we been like we are now with people who can put things out there without needing a big giant publishing house. And you know, it's funny. I was talking to someone the other day. It's not just in writing. When I think about being in the field of sexuality for 45 years, that was before the internet. That was, Uh, how do I get a telephone book and find somebody that I need to speak to? So you think about all the things that are available to us today that we can utilize. And look at us, Ruin. How did we meet? (laughs) We met on a social media platform. All of this is how we can connect and support each other in community for the things that we love and the things that we put so much energy and time into, like writing erotica and being clear about why we're doing it. Oh, absolutely. And that's the other thing that always drives me crazy. Everybody thinks, oh, you know, we're not as connected anymore. Everybody's staring at their phones. I think the world has never been more connected than it is now, like you just said. I would have never talked with you. I would have never met you. I wouldn't know anything about you unless I happened to see one of your books being advertised. But now I get to meet you and talk with you. (laughs) 
Well, and I'm excited because I was going to say, you know, I think you should come into my space on Twitter spaces and that we could talk there because you're the whole idea that we are global and that we are going global. You step into a Twitter space and somebody could say hello from Ireland. They could uh-huh. say hello from Venezuela. They could say hello from Toronto. And you don't know that until they start speaking and, and to hear In that moment, people share where they are and what their ideas are and what they're thinking. It is, it really does put us in the, we can connect with anyone. Oh, I love that. See, I don't know much about Twitter spaces, but I would so get into doing that. Yes. And I, I guess I didn't really know how it worked. I hadn't really explored it much yet, but that sounds fantastic. Excellent. Well, good. I'm going to you up for being in there with me. (laughs) We'll do a conversation together. It'll be great. Absolutely. I am so totally into that. I want you to tell me a little bit about your, I'm a total chocoholic. So tell me a little bit about your, you have an anthology where everybody eats like aphrodisiac chocolate or something, right? Oh, yes. This is such a wonderful story. I have two authors, Oleander Plume and Misha Elliott. Uh, We met on Twitter. We became fast friends and we created a group called Sisters and Smut. And we decided Oleander had written a story uh, years before about an aphrodisiac chocolate. And she had the entire story of how the scientists in the lab had gotten the information and how they were testing it out. And the story was what happened when the two scientists ate the chocolate and then what the (laughs) sexuality situation was that occurred. And so she decided way back when that she would contact certain erotic authors that she knew. And she said, if I gave you this story and I said, pretend you have a bag of these aphrodisiac chocolates, what would happen in your story? And so that was volume one. And so we had a conversation and she said, I'd love to do a second volume of this. And I said, great. I said, but you know, you're going to need to prompt us with what the story now has occurred in the (laughs) science lab. And so she created that story. And then we picked the authors and everybody got to read the story. And then they crafted what they wanted to have happen. My particular story, and we themed this around Valentine's Day. So it would oh, be perfect for Valentine's Day. So yeah. some people did their story specific for Valentine's Day. Other people didn't. But my story was a lesbian story. And it was interesting to me because um, I liked the idea. I liked the idea of the sensuality that could be brought forward. And I used the theme of a 1920s flapper situation that there was a whole group of people that liked this as history. And so I did a setting um, where that happened and these two women met each other there. Very cool. That sounds really awesome. I'm intrigued. I'm going to have to pick that up and read more about that because I'm like, what a fun idea. And I love, I love those little like sci-fi things that can be brought in to make it kind of like a fantasy. So it's just, it's just another place to go with erotica that it's just so much fun. Well, you know, the other thing is that love to do science in the process. Justin Laymiller uh, wrote the book, Tell Me What You Want. And it's based on his research on what are the sexual fantasies that people have. And he came up with seven different areas. And the first one that he identified was threesomes. 
The second one that he identified was BDSM. And the third one that he identified was variety in sex, whether that was a new sex toy, whether it was a new location, all of those things. And so we know in the minds of people that they use these wonderful skills and tools to move them to another place and to have these experiences. So I really do use, I go to his book and I look at what the research said and what people are looking for. And, you know, when you asked that question earlier, what are my stories about? And I said, milestones, the second part of my story writing is based in science. And most people would never guess that. (laughs) I love that. What's the name of that book again? I got to write that down. Tell me what you want. Tell me what you want. Okay. Justin Miller, L-E-H-M-I-L-L-E-R. And he's a Kenzie Institute fellow. So he's probably one of the most prolific sex researchers in the country. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, that's very intriguing. I'm going to put a star on my paper for that because I want to check that out. <laughs> and I, one thing I wanted to ask you, because it came up in there, What's your take on sex toys? I'm a huge promoter of sex toys. I think they can teach a woman about her body. They can teach so many things. There's so many different types of sex toys. What's your opinion on sex toys? I believe anything and everything that someone can utilize is an extension of who they are. And I think because in the United States, the way sex education has not been addressed, that we have not been given permission to understand that pleasure is something that we all Uh, should have. It is a quality of life item. And when we don't know how our bodies work, sex toys are a wonderful way to get a clue about that. And that would be that, again, that individual part, because not every single person likes the same thing. So this range of toys, whether they're for external or internal or, you know, wherever they are on your body, it's like you get to create the body map, your own owner's manual about this is what I like. This is what works for me. This is what feels good. And this little item, whatever it is used by me or someone that I choose to invite into the situation helps me get there. Oh, absolutely. And I think about women who've never had an orgasm. And sadly, there are women out there who've, that's their case. And I just always think in my head, and I preach this, get a sex toy. Even if you get a simple wand, Mm -hmm. just get one and try it. I know some people are scared of them. And I always tell, you know, people ask me on Twitter all the time. They ask me advice. I mean, I'm not a trained person like you, but I have a lot of ideas. (laughs) And many people will approach me and say, well, what do I do? And I always say, get like a wand because that can be used on a back. It could be used on sore muscles, somewhere, non-sexual organ in the body and get, maybe get that person, your partner used to that, Mm -hmm. you know, on uh, on their neck or something. And maybe eventually you can move it towards a sexual organ once they're more comfortable. So I think they're a huge tool for relationships, for people, for women and men to learn about their bodies. So I really appreciate your answer and I completely agree. Well, lovely. And let me tell you that in May, I'm going to have a second book coming out that speaks to what you're addressing. And this is not erotica. This is a sexual wellness journal that Orange Blossom Press has signed me to write for them with my co-author, Angel Russell, Professor Sex. And in that, it's going to be an interactive how to create your own owner's manual. And we have um, 
nine different topics for how we're going to go about that. And we're going to do some interesting and innovative ways for it to be interactional with people beyond the book itself. And I'm really excited with where we're going uh, with this. And I think it's that place to give women and their partners permission to do the exploration. I'm about holistic sexuality, which means we want to have sexuality equal to all the other parts of our body versus people who've been taught sexuality is that thing that lives on the closet shelf and you only bring it out on needed occasions. An integrated sexuality person. Sexuality lives in us. It moves in us when we walk when we do everything in the world. And I want to help women get to that place where they can allow the space for sexuality to be with them every minute of the day. I love that. That is really opening up things for people. And I saw that on your Instagram. So I was going to ask you about that. So what I think is really cool about that is some people, like you said, it's kind of some things are still sexist taboo kind of in some areas and some people's minds and especially in our country because our sex ed sucks. This gives people, it kind of takes the focus off of people who maybe are perhaps nervous or shy about something and they can look at a book like that together and it kind of takes a focus off of them. And that's kind of how I think of erotica too. People can, couples could explore it together without it being directly pointed at them and then they can move into something else perhaps. But it's a way to like kind of guide them without them being the direct focus. And just like when we talked about sex toys, it's a tool too. And when you have tools that people can use and it kind of gives them a guide to try this. And, you know, we've even set it up. So the book is not linear. You don't start at page one and, and go forward. It is a book where you get to set up your own table of contents. You start wherever it fits for you in the book, and then you oh. create the table of contents from there. So we want people to feel very much empowered in how they use it so that they can see that individuality part again. Your sexuality is how you define it for you. That's very cool. I think that sounds really, really interesting and very, a very personalizable thing. That's, that's huge. That's great. I'm excited to find out, to look at that. (laughs) I'm excited to get it finished. (laughs) I bet. (laughs) So many fun projects. Now, I want to ask you something that you also wrote book about rope bondage. Is this something that you research? Is this something you experience? Is it something you do? You, I guess my point is, do you tend to write more from your own perspective of what you've done? Or do you do research? Or is it your fantasies? Or is it just kind of a, all a big mishmash of all of that? I love that question, Merlin. Uh, <laughs> I think you know, first of all, if you write erotica, you know, everybody thinks you've done every single thing that you've written. Oh, so yes. I've had that many times. Yeah. The and they think, I'm always like, memoir. it's not memoir. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the way I think about it is that there are seeds of maybe emotion, or there may be a specific event from my past that I will draw on or pull from. A lot of people ask me, does my writing come from my sex therapy work? And the answer to that is absolutely not. Anything that I'm writing is about imagination. It's about fantasy. It's about the characters that are being developed and how I can tell the story through them and what it is that they're doing. In terms of the, the rope, 
I took a, an erotica writing class with Rachel Kramer Bustle back in November of 2015, before I actually got out in the world and, and was writing. And she had commented that as writers, we should write anything and everything that crosses our path and is interesting to us. Whether we have had the experience or not, we can use the emotion within the process to bring the story forward. I guess for me, knowing that uh, BDSM and doing rope work is one of those things that I look at as people being so clear about their plan, communication, clarity, as someone who is past menopause at this point in time, the idea of needing more, more could be emotional, more could be physical, more could be spiritual. All of these things might provide what one needs for that arousal, lubrication, orgasm, all of those things. And so for me, it's tapping into things that may, in my mind, as I'm writing for fantasy, allow more interest and, and more difference for myself. And I can tell you that I have laughed about this with my friend Tabitha Rain, who is an erotica author, and she's also a sex toy designer, and she's the Ruby Glow. And if you don't know the Ruby Glow, if you're a sex writer, this is one of those items that you should purchase for yourself and say, okay, I'm going to use this. It is a vibrator for the seated woman. And you sit it in your chair, and then you just have a seat on it. And whenever I'm writing stories that I am personally having a response to, I will go get that vibrator and I will plop <laughs> it in the chair and have a seat on it and finish out my story because it physically attaches me to what's going on in the moment. I that hope that answered awesome. your question. It did. And you know what? That reminds me because I believe I saw this toy on Twitter like, I don't know, like a year ago or something. And I completely forgot about it. And, and it was exactly like you said. So I think it might be that toy, like it's on the chair, right? It's you, you sit it on the chair. It's probably about six inches, seven inches long and about, I'm looking at it across the room here. <laughs> I have two of them. One is a beautiful pink and the other one is a dusky purple. It's they're, they're really, really interesting. And they have, you know, little buttons on the side and it's, it looks like a little mountain up and down. So you can sure. grind against it from all sorts of different directions, but it's very portable. You can carry it wherever you <laughs> need to be riding. <laughs> that is so awesome. I have to get that. I, I have, companies that approach me about trying out sex toys. I need to recount. I seriously have probably over 30 sex toys. I have a lot of sex toys. <laughs> well, I think, you know, tricks of the trade. We want our life quality of life. We use what we think might work. We explore, you know, that's everybody laughs when they come into my office and they go, wow, your office is like, holy cow, look at all the stuff you've got. In here. <laughs> that sounds very intriguing. <laughs> Very definitely, awesome. definitely interesting. Tabitha had said to me, I told her that that was my reaction to using her toy. And I said, and I also wrote a story about this specifically, that the Ruby Glow is a highlight <laughs> in the story. And she said, you're kidding me. And I've had it on Radish <laughs> Fiction for a while, but I, I don't have any stories on there now. And so it's sitting on my desk. I haven't done anything with the story, but I said it as for women to go to the Ruby Glow Salon and oh. you, your chair when you had your hair washed. My 
that the folks that I go to to have my hair, my back stays straight and my head is the only thing that tilts. And so that means that you're sitting firmly on top of the ruby glow. So to have somebody (laughs) doing my hair while being on the ruby glow, I thought that sounds really intriguing. (laughs) Then I got really creative. I think we should have nude models to look at. Wow, I'm having my hair pulled. <laughs> so I the story and I was like, hey, I really like the story. <laughs> That's fantastic. That sounds like a wonderful fantasy and a wonderful thing to do. And you know, the hair touching hair for me too, that's a very sensual thing. It's very, it just feels amazing. And of course that brings into erogenous zones that are not your sexual organ. And I'm sure you've learned and teach about that to no end. (laughs) Absolutely. And people will never know what parts of their body for them are the turn on places. Like I have this one spot behind and it's my right knee, not my left knee. It is one (laughs) spot directly on my right knee. And I'm like, how is it that that one place just can set me off. And and so, you know, you have to explore and you have to understand and recognize and pause in the moment when it happens. I think that's that's the message that I would like for people doing sexuality exploration. No rushing. Work the process in the moment. Stay in present time. Feel what you're feeling. All of the emotion of it, the physical parts of it, the what are you thinking in the process, and stay with the bubble of your sexual experience in the moment. I think people would be so much happier if they could get that message and then apply to themselves. I think that's so true. That's like Exactly. And people, you get out of that bubble, things that poke into that bubble that comes to my mind are things like maybe bad experiences or maybe a fight you had with your partner. But you know, I think we should be able to like shed that for a while, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and even to be able together to say, I'm going to lay this down because I need this intimate connection and I need to feel this glue component of who we are that comes through in what we choose to do to feel pleasure with one another. Right. Do you feel like intimacy in your stories will help others with intimacy in their own relationships and how so? Great question. Well, since I believe that story is a vicarious helper anyway, sometimes when we can share stories with other people, they can see elements of themselves in them. And when they can do that, they can say, wow, that person did this where I think I probably would have said or done that. And so it gives people different roadmaps about how they can experience something. And I think that's the biggest thing that any kind of writing does. And erotica specifically in terms of sexuality is that we have a place where we can do that exploration and see that something has been put together differently, which you haven't asked me this question. A lot of people do ask me about the real world things that that I believe that it's important to address consent. I believe it's important to talk about safer sex, whether we're dealing with condoms or prep or any of those things that I know as a college professor, when I ask students, how did you learn about sex education? Many of them, besides the internet and their friends will say, 
They learned it from books. They learned it from romance stories. They learned it from erotica. Well, even though we're dealing with the fantasy world, we can still put the elements and layer little pieces of information in that are actually positive and factual and accurate and gives us a realistic picture of how someone might be in relationship with another person in their sexuality. And I think that would be another way to think about how intimacy, you know, being vulnerable to say, I want to be able to protect myself want us to address up front how we're going to do consent. And that's, again, one of the reasons that I like writing about BDSM, because we have all of the information is done ahead of time. And if people, vanilla sex or whatever they were doing, had stopped and added those elements in, everybody would be happier in intimacy, in sex, in asking for what they wanted. All of those things would come together. Absolutely. There's a couple of things that really struck me about what you said. First of all, in the past, safe sex was condoms. Don't get pregnant. Don't get STDs. I love that you included safety in there for consent. I mean, isn't being safe, that's being safe mentally. I I think that is a great way to look at it. I feel like in the past, it's always condoms. It's, you know, Safe sex is not just about condoms. And and you're hitting the point of my holistic nature, that Mm -hmm. I want the whole of sexuality to be included. And so I look at all of these different elements. And I am going to address the safe versus safer, because I use the term safer because we are never 100% safe. But we can do the items that allow us to be safer than we would have been. And that, as a writer, is one of those things that I look at for the other project that's coming up for 2020 that relates specifically to this conversation is that I'm creating a nonfiction book for fiction writers on how to write sex in scenes. And I don't use the phrase sex scenes anymore because that implies that we're talking about a penis and a vagina. And when you are creating characters, you're creating any number of characters from all walks of life, from all types of directions of who they love and how they want to express that. And I want writers to be able to have a larger, bigger picture about what that has to do with, which is why I'm creating this particular book. Yeah, I think I saw that on your website. I think that's a huge resource that you're going to put out there. I think that is a great idea. Well, you know, it's funny. People always say, what's the origin story? How did you learn about that? (laughs) And I was asked to do a presentation for the Florida Writers Association on how to write scenes with sex. And when I got home, my family said, wow, you'll never guess what was on TV. And I said, no, you're right. What? And they said, John Grisham needs your help. And I went, what? And he was on one of those morning talk shows and he was being interviewed about his book. And one of the one of the folks asked him, so we understand that one time you wrote a sex scene in your book. And he laughed and he said, yes, I did. And, and she said to him, and I understand that you have your wife read all of your material. He says, yes. So I gave her the sex scene and she takes it upstairs and I hear her laughing all the way <laughs> while she's reading this. And he said, clearly, you know, I can't write sex scenes. And he went on <laughs> about how men can't write sex scenes. We need to leave this up to women. And I thought to myself, you know, this is not using the whole person. And so yeah. as 
fiction writers who are writing novels, I'm asking people to consider in the same way that if someone walked into a therapy room and you do a sex history on them to include a sex history about your character. And I'm not talking about things that relate to trauma or negative things. What was your normative experience of how you received sexuality information, experiences? Let's pull all of this together to see how we can help you build the character. And those things are going to impact what the sex scenes look like, what um, you're going to have the people do in the moment, and what is it based on? Very, very, very helpful. And that's very comprehensive. And I think that's to me is also like, you may create a character and you may have backstory. You don't have to put every piece of that backstory into the story. Right. But you as the author need to have it sitting in your head. Yes, exactly. (laughs) The other thing I wanted to pull from that before I forget is the whole consent piece. So I did an interview with a Shibari expert. He teaches bondage. I mean, that's like his job. And I also know a amateur porn star. And both of them who work in the sex industry are so clear on consent mm-hmm. and how important that is a conversation beforehand. And I think that has to happen. And if it doesn't happen, disaster. Well, and the other thing about that, too, is that when someone has explored their own sexuality, they become very clear about the ability to speak to another person and say, this is what I like. This is what I want. This is what I'm interested in. Tell me how that fits for you. And so it's the actual exploration that allows someone to be in a space to be in control of how the discussion of consent happens. And I think that's harder when people do not have that exploration. So people who um, do sex work, people who are going to be training on how to do a specific task or, you know, event within the BDSM rope play, they're going to be very clear about that because they want people to understand how all of this works and how we can make that translation. Sometimes I feel like a bridge between the, the world where people don't look at sexuality 100% holistically, and then those people who their whole lives are sexuality and how they present it. And I feel like I run back and forth between those two worlds, and I'm the bridge going, okay, I got this information for you. Let me run over here and give it here, and then yeah. back and forth. And, you know, sometimes people look at me and they go, you don't look like a sex expert. And I laugh <laughs> and I go, wait, did they look a particular way? I, you know? I know, right? Right. Exactly. So, so it's kind of interesting in that direction to think that it's our experiences and what we learn and take from them that allows us to be a fully functioning sexual quality of life kind of person. I love that. And I love the whole bridge scenario. I can totally appreciate where you're coming from with that. It's totally accurate. The thing that really surprised me, but there's a lot of opinions about, oh, that's not consent. Oh, BDSM, that's, you know, someone being abusive or whatever. The woman I know who is in the adult porn industry, she had to fill out an entire giant contract about yes. what was okay and what wasn't. And mm-hmm. so it's silly for people to have this opinion like that needs to be out there more. Even in even in the porn industry, there's there's consent. 
Yeah, consent being the key thing between something that we're doing pleasurably together versus mm-hmm. assault. I mean, we really need to be clear about what those things are. And because we don't have sex education in the U.S., we get these muddled up scripts of how things were and what they mean. And I like to help people take those apart, tease them out. Let's see what's really important and how you can stand up for yourself and say, this is what I want. Um, where and know where you stop and start. I mean, I work with with little kids early on in my life with um, child development, and I would put my hand out and I'd say, if you stretch your hand out and somebody comes into your space here, they're too close. But in we talk about sexual assault, we are already letting somebody have their hand on our body, where yeah. we teach people that the space is further out from our body than our body. And so, you know, that's what I think about doing the writing is that I'm presenting sex in a different way. I'm giving it a true holistic nature that gives us a positive quality of life that makes pleasure be at the forefront, which it should be. Oh, absolutely. Just nails it on the head. It is about pleasure and makes me think, I don't know why my brain just went here. (laughs) on your website, you say how the brain, I always can't think of your words right now, but in my words, it is the brain is the large, our largest sexual organ. And you say something on your website about the brain. Maybe I should go there and and look at it. (laughs) Well, the brain is the biggest in in terms of between the ears and it's the lungs, everything. The skin is the largest because we have all of the skin covering it, but it's everything that's in our head. And if we can get our thinking organized and straight, if we can get what we want organized and straight, if we can get who we want, how we love, if we can get all of that situated in our brain in a particular way, then we can deal with how we do arousal, how we do desire, how lubrication happens. We understand how our own bodies work. And I say body, not just physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually as well. Absolutely. And can we dig out of this being a shameful thing? Right. There is nothing shameful about being sexy, being sexual, being with your partner and whoever that partner may be, whether you have more than one or one or whatever, just. Mm -hmm. And that's the script. That's the script that most women have been handed. And it's the script that we have to unpack, take apart, figure out what we will replace it with instead. And so, again, the guided, the the journal, sexual wellness Mm -hmm. journal that I'm creating is going to be a component for how to help folks do that. Yeah, that's going to be a great tool for people. I think that's going to be huge and gives them a guide and it takes the focus. It is about them, but it also kind of, it's different than sitting down with your partner and looking them in the face and having a conversation with no guide, no help nothing else. Right. Right. And we're going to have some really interesting resources. I can't give all the details now, but it's going to be very different. That's very intriguing. I have one question that I love to ask all writers. So I'm going to ask you that. What was an early experience where you learned that language had power? Well, language had power. You're going to find this example to be totally different than what you're going to expect me to tell you. (laughs) But in that child development world, 
you know, you talked about shame and we know that around the, the toileting time frame is when people really get a sense of body negativity because there's something mm-hmm. wrong with how our bodies, you know, function and we should hide and we shouldn't talk about toileting and, you know, hands on our body parts and all of that. And so I'm teaching a class for parents at a child development center. And I'm talking about the importance of accurate language. And I'm giving the example that through the National Association for the Education of Young Children, that we know from birth to age, nine months, that they're gathering the words, they're gathering the words. And at nine months, they have what we call receptive language. They Mm -hmm. understand what you say to them. So Mm -hmm. if you say, turn over, I want to wash your buttocks, They know what that means. And so I tell parents, you have nine months to practice the accurate body language. And I'm going through saying bowel movement and urinate. And this woman raised her hand and said, I can't say urinate. And I went, excuse me. And she said, that's too big of a word. A child is not going to know that word. And I'm thinking to myself, how will I address this? And then I'm looking at a board behind her and it has all the dinosaurs on it. And I'm thinking every little kid in this room can say Stegosaurus, Brontosaurus, Triceratops. And I sat here and I counted out the syllables to urinate. And then I'm going through this. I said, this is a technical thing. It's, It's how you think a word is. And in that moment, the meaning of language was very clear. And I have been a proponent of accurate language after that discussion. That is highly intriguing. And it's true. I mean, how fascinating is that, that the human brain does that at such a young age? And I know. Wow. Yeah, that's like mind blowing when you really think about it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. I, I but yeah, I think it's interesting. I don't think I don't think children that young would have shame yet. No, and and we're the ones that instill the shame. The adults are the ones that put that in. And so the same thing when I think about changing phrases of words, sexuality as a field has done that more than any other field to be inclusive and to, you know, have us be attached to things that have better meaning than what they had historically, which is why I'm standing now in the scenes with sex, because it encompasses more and more accurately, I believe, about what we do as writers, that we are incorporating so much in that. And just to say sex scenes makes it sound like it's one thing, and that is not the case. And that's why language is so powerful. It is. And it's true. I mean, it's not just a scene. I like that. I, it's, the whole person it's the whole character it's not just segment segments it and it's not segmented yes it's interconnected completely mm-hmm. yeah wow very intriguing you've had so many interesting things to say i just really had a lot of fun talking with you is there anything else that you would like to say before we close that you want to touch on or highlight or something you already talked about future projects or is there anything else you'd like to elaborate on Well, I think the last thing that I'd like to say is if people would like to continue the conversation, Twitter Spaces has been fascinating place to do that. I've been interviewing different people and then opening the space up where people can ask questions. For example, this week, I'm not interviewing someone. I've posed a question about what do you want 
from sex. And it'll be a facilitated conversation about all sorts of things like we talked about here. And I do that every Wednesday, noon Eastern time. And I think if people wanted to be anonymous, they could just come in and listen. And it's a platform. It's a way to set up what I call a permission space that I give people to the space to understand that we have permission to talk about this topic. I work to provide limited information where I give you facts and help to dispel myths and misinformation. And then I might even do something specific like I did today where I said, oh, yes, and here's the Ruby Globe. It's perfect for authors if they're doing this. <laughs> so that's the giving you a specific example. And those are the kinds of things that I continue to do from an education direction. And so I would invite everyone to join me in, in that space and see what they can learn there. That's very cool. Now, I have a question about Twitter, the Twitter spaces. If someone goes to that and participates and then it ends, do people have access to listen to that or is it just something that's like alive at that moment and then it's gone? Well, and this is the cool part about Twitter and being on the front end as, as one of the early adopters of this product, Twitter has been adding new features to this platform that they've created now. And so I have access to get that. But then I have to do all sorts of stuff to it, like you do as a podcaster. And that's not in, in my wheelhouse at this point in time. Uh, sure. And so I'm the only person who gets the copy of it. Twitter keeps a 30-day copy. They use it for all sorts of internal processes for is the space working well? And they can go back and check things and that sort of stuff. I understand that into the future, the plan is when the space is over, I would be ha able to have an instant link and that it would be able to be you know, sent out and shared with other people. But at this point in time, it's just me having it and deciding what to do with it or not. Some people do use other recording devices, like they might use Otter AI, or they may have a different mm. um, system that they use. And they put up little recording dots like we have right here that has a little red dot that says we're recording. And they tell people, if you come up to ask a question or speak, that you are saying that it is okay with you to be part of the recording. And if you don't want that, then don't speak. Gotcha. So are you taking them all just in case you want them in the future? I mean, that would make sense to download them and just keep them in case you want I, to do I do have them. And what I have done is when I interview someone, I'll, I'll just say to them, I'd like to interview this to record this part with you. And so I say, okay, I'm recording now. And then we do the conversation like you and I are doing. And I say, thank you so much next week in the space is so-and-so. And then I stop recording and then I open it for questions. So I've done it several different ways. Okay. That's good to know. Very interesting. So people can feel comfortable and know that what they're saying is not going to go somewhere else. It's not really tied to them because there's no like tag to their voice. It's just their voice, right? It's just coming across. It's just their voice. And the only thing that you see is whatever their avatar is on Twitter. Okay, so you have sure. like a little square and then there are all the little pictures and somebody has a little wave thing going saying that's the person that's speaking right there. Okay. And then everyone can see that. So everybody knows mm -hmm. that person is speaking. Mm -hmm. Okay. Good. But I when it's wanna... gone away, it's it's gone. Right. Gotcha. Okay. 
Very interesting. I, yeah, I'm interested to know about the Twitter spaces because like I said, I don't, I don't even know how to get to Twitter spaces. How does one get to Twitter spaces? Well, one gets there. Say, for instance, you wanted to come to my Twitter space. If you go to my Twitter feed right now, you see that I have a pinned tweet and it has the embedded URL in the tweet. And all you have to do is tap on it and it will give you a set reminder. And at noon Eastern time. If you look at my avatar, it will glow purple around the edge. And all you have to do, and this is only on mobile, you can listen on desktop, but you cannot interact on desktop. On mobile, you press my avatar and it says, would you like to join this space? And you click the button that says join and you're sitting in the room live. Oh, perfect. So that's a helpful description for people too. (laughs) Well, I want to thank you so much for talking with me. I think I could like talk to you for like days and still not be done. (laughs) Oh, really? I love it. I love it. I love it when people are so interested like you and the questions you asked were great and it really, you know, makes it be the connection and also the education at the same time. Oh, absolutely. That's so true. I love it. Well, I'm, I'm excited. I can't, I can't wait to share this with the world. Thank you so much for talking. Yes. Thank you so much for having me today. You have a wonderful day. And I hope you have a great day today. Thanks. You too. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I'm so excited that you spent time with me and Dr. J, and I hope you learned a lot, had fun, and we'll check out her stories and her work. All of her links will be down in the podcast notes so you can easily get to her stuff. She's on Twitter, and all those links will be down there. So you can just go down in there and easily access her stuff. My books are also on Amazon my books and my audiobooks. I narrate for myself and others. And my website is ruinwillowauthor.com. Come talk to me on social media. I really enjoy connecting with people and chatting and talking and flirting and having fun, being sex positive, posting sexy pics. It's all fun and it's all an expression of my sexuality that I love to share with the world. Okay, follow my podcast. I'd love that if you subscribed and leave me a comment, rate my podcast. I would love to hear your thoughts. As always, I hope you have an amazing, sexy fucking day. Love ya. Ready for some spring cleaning of your beard and groin hairs? Try out Manscaped products where you can get 20% off with my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, to get 20% off and free shipping. In order to get the discount, use the promo code RUIN, R-U-A-N, to do that spring cleaning to get yourself ready for sexy times. Heat up your spring with a new shave, a new trim. Perhaps try going there. Get more skin smacks in the bedroom, if you know what I mean.